welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Well, hi there. If you haven't met me yet, my name's Jeff Brody. I'm actually the lead pastor of Connexus Church, and it's been great to be a part of the Road to Imperfection series with you. I'm also a personal friend of VJ's. And you probably already know this, but I wanted to remind you, you have an incredible leader at your church who has an amazing vision, who's passionate about seeing people reach. And so I want to challenge you and remind you, continue to pray for your pastor, continue to get, give financially, continue to get in his corner, and really do believe the best is yet to come for the well. And I'm excited today for part three of The Road to Imperfection. Last summer, I golfed a fair bit with my son Carter. I guess now I qualify as a golfer because I pay a green fee and I walk the course for nine or 18 holes. No matter how poorly or how well I play, it doesn't change the fact that I'm golfing. However, in order to improve my swing, I've learned that I not only need to learn new patterns, but I need to unlearn old patterns. My technique is pretty bad, but it's been ingrained over the years, and the new pattern is something I'm just trying to get used to. Swinging in a new way is actually pretty uncomfortable, and it doesn't really feel that natural. In this series, we're talking about new patterns and new roads in our lives. When you choose to follow Jesus, you're fully accepted as his child, and God sees you as perfect even when you weren't. He forgives you, brings meaning to your life, makes you whole, and gives you spiritual freedom. And we talked about that in part one. And if you missed it, you definitely want to check that out. As you are made to look more like Jesus every day, you start to recognize old patterns that you need to stop and new patterns that you need to start. That's the journey. God sees us as perfect while making us perfect. God's desire for you isn't just getting you to eternity, but to change your life. His goal isn't a destination, it's transformation. Transformation of you, that you might look more like Jesus. Today, I want to talk about freedom. Specifically, your freedom. Whenever someone's about to be released from prison or a long time in the hospital or a rehab clinic, one of the things people ask them is, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get out? Even the prison movies play this up with inmates asking each other, what's the first thing you're going to eat? Who's the first person you're going to see? What's the first thing you're going to do? What they're really asking is, what are you going to do with your newfound freedom? In John 8, Jesus says this himself. If the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Jesus, as God's Son, sets you free, makes you whole, connects you with God personally if you've chosen to follow him. But what does spiritual freedom even look like? What does it look like to live freely? Now, here's why this is an important question. Even those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we're honest, we don't always find ourselves feeling that free. We give into selfishness and we take advantage of others or we hurt people. And sometimes we regret it. And on our worst days, we don't. If I'm free as a son of God because of Jesus, how come I don't feel like I'm freely living sometimes? Why do things rise up in you and in me that are selfish? Why do you do things that hurt people, even the people that you love the most? 
Or maybe you don't consider any of this because you think Christianity is just about rule following and has nothing to do with freedom. That's why you aren't a Christian. To you, the Christian faith is actually the opposite of free. Well, oddly enough, the early Christians had some of the very same questions about freedom. They got pretty confused about what their freedom actually meant, but they eventually figured out the secret to living free. In part two of this series, we saw that the Apostle Paul, a brilliant thinker and leader and church planner, talked about renewing your mind, starting new patterns, staying out of the cookie cutter, go with the flow life. And today we're going to see what he has to say about where you can find strength and even the power to live with freedom as you do it. To have the power to live a life that's free. In Galatians 5, he speaks to Christians who were a part of the early church in a place called Galatia. Now, these people were struggling with living freely, and this is what he said to them. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Paul is reprimanding these Christ followers because they've become too much about the rules. They might even think that following lots of rules would make them more spiritual. Spiritual life for them was about regulations, not transformation. Now, if you're skeptical about church, this is actually one of the things you may not like about Christians. It feels like they just get so trapped up in the rules and being judgmental. Paul actually had the same problem with this church in Galatia. Here's where they were coming from. In Galatia, many of them had grown up in a Jewish tradition that was built on Old Testament law. Now, part of that old law was the Ten Commandments from Moses that you might be familiar with. And there were a number of additional rules God had laid out. And then rules that the religious leaders had added on top of those rules for good measure. However, when Jesus died, he brought forgiveness and freedom and eternal life. And if they believed in him, they no longer had to live their lives trying to adhere to all of these laws. They were free from the law. But they wanted to keep them. The rules were what they knew. It's, it's how they kept score. It's what made them feel like somehow they could earn God's favor. It was also part of how many of them had grown up. It was their tradition. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you do have rules that weigh on you. Maybe it's expectations you grew up with or things the people around you expect you to do. This is why Paul is warning them to make sure they remain free because of their belief in Jesus and what he did for them, rather than getting tied up in all of the old rules. They'd already been accepted as children of God. He was full of grace for them. They didn't need to keep striving to earn God's favor under the weight of the rules. One of the important parts of that law was circumcision. And this is something that they held on to and were debating. So wisely, Paul keys in on that and addresses it with them. Probably a good law to key in on if you want to get people's attention. He goes on to say this. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then God will be of no benefit to you. 
Now, many of them thought this practice of circumcision was still something that they needed to adhere to in order to earn God's favor. But that all changed with Jesus. Paul continues, I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. Paul points out that if they're going to be keepers of some of the old laws, they need to keep all of them. If they wanted to earn their right to God instead of choosing to surrender their lives to Jesus, who lived a perfect life for them, then they would need to keep and live by all of the laws. Live perfectly. Paul says, for if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. There's a time in my younger days when I was a bit like the Galatians. I liked my faith as rule-oriented as I could get it. That way I felt I could figure out how to keep God happy with me and how to keep score. Now, not only did that create a weight of fear and guilt that I carried, but it made me judgmental and feeling like I knew the rules better than everyone else. If you wanted my opinion on how to live your life following God's rules or who would be in heaven and who wouldn't or who was honoring God and who wasn't, I had one. I was all truth and no grace. Maybe you're a bit like that. You've built your life on a religion of worshiping the rules, not on Jesus who lived a perfect life and then died for your forgiveness. There are actually whole churches built on this premise. If you've walked away from church, that might be why. You ran into people who were more focused on keeping the rules and the laws rather than focused on a relationship with God. And you felt judged. Here's the challenge with this kind of life. While thinking you know all the rules gives you a certain sense of security and control and even power over people, inside you just keep striving and striving and striving to be perfect, to follow the rules, to earn God's favor. Paul wants you to know that's not what God wants for you. Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could spend your life striving and striving to please him. He died on the cross so that you could be free. Paul explains more in the passage. He says, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. When we choose to follow Jesus, we're made perfect in him. We don't need to strive and strive and strive to live perfectly to earn God's favor. Paul points out that there's no benefit in all that striving to earn God's love. You are already fully known and fully loved by him when you surrender your life to him. Paul wants the Galatians to stop tying themselves up in trying to follow rules and embrace or accept their freedom. They've been freed and forgiven of sin. When I was a kid, we used to go to my uncle's farm and we loved to play in the haymow above the barn. Back then, these haymows were full of small square bales of hay. We loved to run and swing on the rope and jump in the hay, but our favorite thing to do was to use the bales of hay like Lego. We would spend an entire day build forts out of all of these square bales. And sometimes we'd get building the walls of the fort so high, as high as we could. It was a little like Minecraft, but in real life. 
However, if we weren't paying attention, we could build the wall so high all around us so quickly that we could forget one important thing, a door. We'd spend so much time focusing on building the walls that we didn't realize that we were actually trapping ourselves inside. If you aren't careful, you can do the same with your life. As you work hard to build a boundary of rules that everyone needs to strive to follow, including yourself, you can actually imprison yourself in the rule following. A prison of guilt, a prison of shame, and striving, and judgmentalism, and even fear. In these verses, Paul reminds you and I that if we think the Christian faith is simply about earning our way to God by striving to follow rules, we'll end up imprisoning ourselves. Here's what I think Paul is saying. Don't use your freedom to deny yourself freedom. Don't take that freedom you found in Jesus and then build walls of guilt and shame and striving and frustration trying to please him. Find forgiveness and grace in all that Jesus has done for you on the cross. Okay, so then what should you do with your freedom? How do you live a life that's free? Do I just live my life doing whatever I feel like? Is that what freedom looks like? Well, that sounds a little selfish if you ask me. Doesn't God care about how you live your life if, if he truly loves you? Paul answers this question as we continue reading on. This is what he says. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be subbed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. What he's saying here is this. Don't use your freedom to strive. Use your freedom to serve. Leverage the freedom you have to be for the people around you, to be in their corner. Lay down your preferences, your selfishness, your sinful nature, and love the people around you. What matters most is faith expressing itself in love. Now, if you're like me, I'm asking, okay, how, how do I do this, Paul? How do, I, how do I take my freedom and lay it down for the sake of others? Where do I get that kind of discipline, that kind of fortitude, that kind of strength? What kind of power do I have to have over myself to serve in that way? Paul actually tells us the secret in verse 16. He says, so I say, don't miss this. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Now, Paul is really getting to something powerful and transformational for your life here. He's saying, if you don't want to give in to your selfish cravings and you want to truly love the people around you, surrender to the Holy Spirit as your guide. In a nutshell, if you want to stop your selfishness or your need to strive, surrender your cravings, your desires, and your selfish ways to the Holy Spirit. Listen. You can't stop what you don't surrender. Paul is saying, surrender to the Holy Spirit as your guide. You can't stop what you don't surrender. Paul actually drills down on this in real detail. He even describes the battle we all face inside this next verse. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. 
And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other's. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Paul points out that there's a battle within us. On one hand, the sinful nature, and on the other, the spirit of God. It's God's spirit that compels us to fight against our sinful nature and carry out our good intentions, our unselfish ideas, our desire to serve. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses, Paul says. When you surrender to the Spirit, when you look to him to guide you, you actually don't have to strive to earn God's favor. Instead, he will strengthen you, even change you to desire to serve others. Then Paul describes that when you follow your sinful nature, you can actually lose your freedom. I want to share with you out of a paraphrase called the message because I find the essence of the passage is so clear here. This is what Paul says. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. When you start being selfish, repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. Your sex life isn't about a spouse who you want to serve, but something that you do to fill your own selfish desires. You make it about you. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. You get yours, whatever makes you happy. Trinkets, gods, magic show religion, a world centered on you of motivational self-help and spirituality that focus all on your needs. Paranoid, loneliness, cutthroat, competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants. Man, that describes our culture. A brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, and the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. And Paul says, I could go on. What is Paul getting at here? Now, this is so important, so I don't want you to miss this. One way, as we've established, to steal your freedom is to create a prison of striving to earn God's love. But another way to rob yourself of freedom is by building a prison of self-centeredness that forgets what God wants for you. A prison of hurt and consequences for your decisions. So what happens if instead we want to choose to surrender to God's spirit? We move further from both striving and sin and into the fullness of our freedom. The key is surrender. Remember, you can't stop what you don't surrender. God's spirit gives you the power, not just to stop, but to actually be transformed. Here's what Paul says when we lean into surrender. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is so powerful. There's something supernatural here about what God's Spirit wants to do in your life. 
Not just to stop you from using your freedom in Christ to rob yourself of your freedom on earth, but to fill you with the things that are the opposite of your selfish desires. Then Paul gets a little cheeky, and this is what he says. There's no law against these things. The Spirit of God wants to give you the power to become more selfless, to make you more like Jesus. And Paul lays it right out here for us to see. He's saying, if you want these things in your life, God's Spirit wants to give them to you. But you need to surrender yourself and become more selfless. Now, Paul lists these fruits of the Spirit, and we can have them in our lives if we surrender to him. Now, we listed them off pretty quickly when I read them, but when you really look at them, they are inspiring. Imagine you had these fruit, this fruit in your life. L let, me, let me repeat them for you. Love. What's love? To serve someone out of what you want for them, not from them. Joy, a good feeling in your soul because of what Jesus is doing in the world. Peace, having confidence that God's story is bigger than your circumstance. Patience, the ability to take your life's troubles with joy and not blowing up or melting down. Kindness, the ability to help others without any kind of hidden motive or insecurity. Goodness, Actually translated goodness would be integrity. The ability to be the same honest person no matter what. A good person. Faithfulness, which would be courage and confidence and loyalty rooted in a trust that God is in control. Gentleness, humility, forgetting yourself and empathizing with others. What about self-control? The ability to choose what's best over what's immediate. Wouldn't you want to be that kind of person? To see that kind of fruit in your life? Doesn't that sound better than a prison of guilt and shame and striving to be perfect? Doesn't it sound more hope-filled than a prison of selfishness and sin? What Paul is saying is that you can see that transformation in your life, but you can't stop and you can't start what you don't surrender to the Holy Spirit first. I actually spoke on this passage as a part of a series a couple of years ago, and I shared on that day my own journey with some of this fruit. I'd realized in my life that I lacked joy. Joy, a, a good feeling in my soul because of what God is doing in the world. At that time, I was praying that God would give me joy in my life. Not necessarily the emotion of happiness, but deep inner joy that would carry me. What I learned as I prayed was that joy comes with surrender and trust. Trust that God is doing great things around me, that he knows what he's doing, and that if you look, you can see him at work. And that's something that I could be grateful for. Little did I know, but the fruit of joy was going to be just what I needed when we hit the season of the pandemic. Like you, I have my good days and my bad days. But even throughout the pandemic, I didn't give up the hope that God was at work. I can honestly say that. In fact, I see him at work in unique ways all around us all the time. God is on the move. 
As I'm sure the staff and the leaders at your church can attest, it's not easy leading a church through a pandemic over the last year and more. I know I didn't always, and I won't always get it right as a leader at my church. Not everyone agreed with some of the choices that I've made, and that's okay. I'm not perfect. The thing I love about our church and yours is that you have the grace for that. And together we can keep moving towards seeing God change lives. What I can tell you for certain is in the midst of uncertainty, as I look at what's happening in our church and as I hear what's happening at yours, God is at work and that gives me joy. His spirit is reminding me of that every day as I surrender to him. Now, Paul closes this section of Galatians with encouragement to you and to me. And I want to read it to you as you surrender to his spirit and ask for the fruit you want to see in your life today as you live in freedom. This is what it says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the spirit, let's follow the spirit's leading in every part of our lives. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, your striving in sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus. Stop trying to take them off of that cross. Surrender them and ask his spirit to lead you in freedom in every single part of your life. Let's pray together. God, we come to you And God, we admit that at times we create our own prison, even when you freed us. That we strive and strive and strive to please you when you already fully love us. Or that we sin and sin thinking we know better than you, but you know what's best for us. And as we look to change that pattern in our lives, as we surrender to your spirit, I know that there are some who are watching right now who are saying, I want more joy or I want more peace or I want more gentleness or I need more self-control. And I pray that as they surrender to your spirit that you would fill them and that you would speak to their heart and they would feel the strength of your spirit working in their lives this week. God, help us to surrender to your spirit so you can transform us and change us. That your goal isn't just eternity as a destination, but it's transformation, transformation in our lives, us becoming like you right here on earth. We pray this in your name. Amen.